0: Hello and welcome to episode nine of Social Work Leaders. Today, I spoke to the lovely Tinu. Tinu is the founder of Redefined Living, a service which offers semi-independent living to care leavers. Tinu spoke to us about her journey as a social worker, what brought her into social work, and what her journey currently looks like as a social worker. Tinu spoke about her role as a social worker within a care leavers team, as well as what she called her baby, which is redefined living. Tinu spoke with such passion about social work. She spoke with such passion about care leavers, and we explored the positive outcomes that semi independent living can have for young people who are care experienced. Tinu spoke about serving. It was so evident that serving was at the core of everything that she does and it was so lovely to have such a conversation with her. So I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Thank you. Hi Tinu, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good too, thank you. So thank you for joining me today on Social Work Leaders. I'm really happy to have you here and I'm really looking forward to getting into this conversation. So how's your week been so far?
1: Yeah, my week has been good. Um, it's been busy. <laughs> it's been really busy, but I'm I'm really grateful. It's been good overall.
0: Good, good, good. It's always nice when you have, well, it's always mixed when you have a busy week, isn't it? Because you're, you're glad to be busy and working, but equally <laughs>
1: you need a bit of a break sometimes. Yeah, but sometimes actually it, Allows the week to go quickly as well. So I do like keeping busy, I must admit, because I think Monday comes, before you know it, you're saying hi to Friday. Um, yes. So yeah, no, I do like a busy week.
0: You're so right. That is literally how this week has gone. I can't believe it's Friday tomorrow mm-hmm. already. Yeah, <laughs> no. But Tinu, like I said, it's really good to be able to catch up with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really happy to have this conversation with you. And... Yeah. With every podcast episode that I've done so far, I always try to start by finding out a bit more about the person I'm speaking to, because, um, it's obviously the social worker in me. I like to know, um, where that person's come from, what they're about, um, and who makes that person who they are. So, mm-hmm. just to start with, you know, if I was to ask you who is Tinu, what would you say? You know, tell me a bit about yourself.
1: Oh okay um so I am um so I'm a social worker um I am sister I'm a friend um I am what am I I'm I'm quite a driven person I would say I I think I hold a lot of things I do a lot um so I'm quite active in my church um so I'm actually a deaconess in my church I I serve in my community, serving my family, Um, but overall, I don't know. I would say that I'm, I'm just me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think I could only speak from what I've been described as. I think, given the fact that I have a lot of things on my plate, it kind of causes me to be Mm organised. I'm a bit of a perfectionist, I would say. Um, but I do think I'm getting better at being a perfectionist. I've heard that is a negative thing, but sometimes you know it's good. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> I yeah, I'm family orientated Um, I am, like I said, a driven woman, um, somebody who enjoys having a good time as well, spending time with family, spending time with friends, going shopping, going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um So I think that kind of encompasses me um, as an individual. I'm just a woman who just does a lot of things and has her hands in everything, pretty much.
0: Yes, and it it definitely sounds that way. And funny enough, when you first started mentioning who you were, you spoke Mm. about serving a lot. You spoke about serving in your church, serving within your family, serving within your community. Yeah. Which for me always really does link to social work, because as social workers, That is what we do. We serve that we work in. And I wondered whether I guess your passion for serving or or that innate part of you is what led you into social work.
1: Um, Funny enough, me coming into social work was, I mean, it was an idea given to me by my parents. (laughs) Um, so it actually, I think it was in just after I finished my Um, I really enjoyed the subject child development and originally I wanted to actually do something involving science I think I wanted to be a biomedical scientist or something then, and then Um, I didn't really do I didn't do too badly in science I think I got a C or something but not enough to actually do the subject in A level so I decided to study sociology and psychology and I had to talk with my parents and they said oh why don't you just be a children social worker and I was just like you know that's why not Um, I love children and I love um, working with young people I'd been a youth leader in my church as well so um it working with young people you know babysitting here and there was kind of something that I was drawn to mm-hmm. um so I knew that definitely I wanted to do a profession in with working with children so I always tell people that if it wasn't going to be social work it probably would have been a child nurse or a teacher or something like that um but yeah social work was just a career path that I chose and funny enough coming into social work I didn't really know much about it I think back in the day all I knew was Tracy Beaker and even then I didn't really understand what was going on. <laughs> um, I just kind of watched it mindlessly really but yeah I think over time and as I went into college um, I mean sixth form as I went into university um, the interest of just being a social worker not only being a social worker but being a good one um, kind of arose and here I am I guess six years later yes
0: so what has your social work journey looked like so you mentioned um your parents speaking about why not being a children's social worker so I assume you kind of went in with the mindset that you were going to go into children's social work rather than adults so what has your journey been like as a social worker
1: um my journey I would say is quite a unique one because I feel like I've actually been able to do quite a lot of things within what seems to be a short space of time so I've pretty much nearly worked across the whole children's social services um so I first started off in child protection um I did child protection for about three years um and then I did um fostering um for about six months, then I moved to children with disabilities, then I moved to adoption, and yeah, then it's leaving care, <laughs> yeah. and I'm still kind of doing um, independent work for fostering assessments as well. So yeah, I think I've kind of like dabbled into a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, my journey has been quite a good one. It, I think, child protection really did. Um, challenged me quite a bit. And I think to be fair, I'm very grateful for it because it really, I think was this foundation of um, my social work career because I got to experience everything. And I remember when I was doing child protection, one of the things that I used to do where I used to ask my manager for different sort of like um, opportunities so if I hadn't done something like a section seven or section 37, I would actually ask my manager and supervisions, like, can I do this next? Can I do this next? And before you know it, I did nearly every single assessment <laughs> that you could ever think of. Um, because I just knew that I wanted to expand my skill. And I think coming into social work, that's always been my, I mean, I'm I'm the kind of person that if I do something, I want to do it well. Mm-hmm. And I think that has really helped me in making sure that whatever job I've done or whatever job I do in social work moving forward, that I kind of exhaust all means of knowing how to do the job well, if yeah, that makes sense. Like that, really. um, so, yeah, so I think especially when it comes to like getting and uh, moving around in social work, I'm able to show a lot of my, um, what do I call it? a lot of my diverse skills because I've done pretty much everything. And that was literally just by asking for opportunities and kind of being restless at that point, saying that, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. And that's just how I grew. And yeah, um, yeah. (laughs) I think a lot of people are surprised though, when I do say it, I think a lot of, because um, I started social work fairly young, a lot of people are quite surprised by When I do say that, oh, this is what I've done. They're like, oh, wow. Yes, (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) it is amazing though because kind of
0: as you've described you've literally experienced almost every door in children's services so that's Mm -hmm. giving you that real diverse experience that you benefit from and um, that you've benefited from and I'm sure and we kind of talk about where you are now and what you're doing now, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's helped you um, where you are now because you've got a real understanding at each level, the journey that children and young people go through when we're talking about um, families who have got children's services involvement. Um, because mm-hmm. to some extent where you sit now, and I'd like to understand a bit more than that, uh, more about that is right at the end of, our, of the journey for young people yeah. within children's services and system, if you want to call it a system. Um, so I wondered if you could tell us a bit about what you do now as a social worker
1: yeah so um as a social worker i work with 16 plus um so i have a business um redefined living um and we are semi-independent accommodation um service that caters to young people age 16 plus who are care leavers um, and or unaccompanied asylum seekers as well Mm -hmm. um so that is what I do as a business. Um, I still am a practicing social worker. So I actually also work in the care leavers team <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I work in the care leavers team as well. Um, that's more of a recent um, job. But yeah, I work in a care leavers team as well. So um, balancing both um, is what I do. But yeah, redefine living um, is pretty much like my business I call it my baby but yeah I
0: can imagine and I'm definitely going to ask you some more questions about redefined living um but I'm just really interested to understand more about when you kind of started to become passionate about services for for care leavers or or care experienced young people and if that's an area you always wanted to go in because I always think care Leavers are such an important group of young people Mm -hmm. We need to be thinking about and and speaking more about them and I think when you think about care leavers you you hear both sides you hear really positive stories you hear about um, young people who have been able to come out of care do some really amazing things whether it's starting families of their own go to university Mm -hmm. start professions um, all really positive things that and as a social worker in safeguarding, it reminds me of why um, I do the job that I do. Yeah. But then on the other side, we can't ignore um, that we hear about some of the really challenging outcomes and negative outcomes for young people that come out of um foster care as well. Um we hear about what is the I guess the addiction um mm-hmm. coming in and out of the criminal justice system. And actually in safeguarding a lot of young people that we work with have had some care experience background as well Mm -hmm. so um I wondered for you what made you feel that working with care leavers um, or care experienced young people was what you wanted to do where did that come from
1: so um I would say it came from when I was a student um I was actually given a case to co-work with a social worker and she the case that I was working with, she was about, I think she was 18, 19 at the, no, 17, 18 at the time, and she was pregnant, mm. Um, so she wasn't too far from my age when I was a student, actually, and what I had to do was literally teach her semi-independent skills, so I had formulated a book um, and, well, a pamphlet with literally every single thing into how to use a washing machine to how to, like, cook and um, feed a baby, everything. Um, I even did some practical um, sessions with her, going to shopping and um, budgeting. Um, I think we ended up making a cheesecake, <laughs> which was quite nice and we took a picture of that. And I remember, so I actually got to build quite a good relationship with her. Um, and of course her, her child was on child protection, So, and I remember there was this one weekend, I literally had my phone in my bag, my work phone, and for some reason, I don't know why, you shouldn't check your phone on a weekend, but I just checked it, and she sent me a message um, saying that, oh, wow, Tinu, guess what, I've just given birth, Um, I just wanted to tell you, because I was just so excited, you were really important to me, and she sent me such a lovely message, and I was just like, wow. Mm -hmm. the feeling that I had was I, I can't I can't describe it given the fact that I had a young person text me over the weekend fair enough like I mean she doesn't have a personal relationship with me or anything but I think having built such a relationship that she felt the needs at such a um because you you know momentous occasions like giving birth getting married it's it's quite something that you want to share with like you know your nearest and dearest but the fact that I was part of her list really warms my heart Mm -hmm. and I think especially over the um and then there's been a couple of things as well I think some cases that I've had as a social worker where I've worked with older children I do funny enough I do prefer it because you have to be quite creative with older children in terms of the direct work. So um, being very like, how can I spin it? It's not the same as young children where you, know, you get like pens and paper and you could pretty much make everything out nothing. Whereas older children require a little bit more of an encouragement and incentives. So stuff like taking them to McDonald's, coffee shops, trampoline parks. So being very creative with my direct work in order to build relationships with them. And I think some of the cases that I've had dotted over the years has kind of inspired me to want to do that outside of my social work role. Mm -hmm. So about, so I registered the business about two years ago um, and since then i've just been building and one of the things that i wanted to make different about my organization is i wanted people to i wanted the young people coming into to, un- to yeah. have an expectation of what it's like to live well and not to settle for an ordinary standard um, hence the reason why it's called redefined living because yes. um, i've been to a lot of semi-independence in the past And some of them, they're just kind of like bog standard um, with little to no attention to like detail. And I'm talking about the makeup of the house. Of course, I'm not talking about the organisations itself. I'm sure the organisations are lovely. But I think for me, when I think about home, I think about the exterior. I think about how it should make somebody feel. I think about, um, because I think once you have a home that is worth keeping, you your mindset I think kind of changes in a way Um, and I just wanted the young people because some of the young people that come into the care system they may not have experienced um, like a stable home environment they've been moved around they've been rejected etc and I just wanted them at least for when they are leaving care that they've experienced something good mm-hmm. so hence is the reason why I decided to open redefine living um to make sure that my young people experience something good um in the latter years of care because nine times out of ten we would usually be the last organization that they had before they transition into like um, their own flats or their own apartments and stuff. So I wanted that transition to be very easy for them. Mm So I would put a lot of effort in making sure that the house was renovated, look at the different strategies that we could work with. Um, The good thing is having worked and working in a care leaver sector as well has also given me ideas of how to engage young people as an organisation as well. Um, Taking my staff through different trainings and just really making sure that I invest in the young people that come into my care. Um, So I hope... Answers your question. I know I kind of rambled a bit.
0: It does, and I I completely agree with what you said. And I just love the the kind of area that you touched on around the attention to detail that you really gave, even to the exterior and what the home looked like, like, what the home looks like. Because a home for anyone is is a secure base, isn't it? It's yeah. You feel secure where you feel stable, and I think you know if you have somewhere to call home. I think that is the starting point for to be able to to thrive in in any capacity. Mm -hmm. So um, I can really tell just hearing your passion as you're talking about it, how much that meant to you. Um, I wondered whether from your perspective, how I mentioned obviously in terms of a home providing a basis to be able to thrive, but Mm -hmm. from your perspective, how does supported living support positive outcomes for for care leavers
1: um so i think supported living i would say we're kind of like a bridge the gap service Mm. um i think sometimes we are the reason i say bridge the gap is because usually sometimes the young people may have come from foster care um so they may have been under like a foster mum or foster dad or um grandparent or whatever and i think supported living promotes positive outcomes by teaching. The way I see it is like teaching young people the, the basics, and I say basics loosely, um, because even if you do live in a two-parent household, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will even learn these skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes you just learn it as you, <laughs> as you go along, but I think definitely it helps Support living helps bridge the gap, So it then creates positive outcomes. So for example, um, stuff like budgeting, stuff like um, stuff that we do with our young people, budgeting, looking at contacts, looking at health, looking at um, education, training, employment. Um, and we look at them in a holistic manner about, okay, we then try to look at where do you see yourself in five, in 10 years? What do you want to be? You know, you want to, I know a lot of young people come and take care say they want money. And like, okay, so how are you going to make money? (laughs) That's usually a driving factor for me. Um, Because a lot of them want money, but they don't know how, they either don't know how to do it or they don't want to work for it. And I think just by, I think by literally changing their mindsets, that's what kind of helps them with the positive outcomes if that makes sense yes it's the one thing that I've realized and one thing that I'm learning is that it's a process Mm -hmm. and you will get some success sometimes you won't and every week every month could be different as well you could have one young person engaging with you one week the next week they don't want anything to do with you
0: um
1: but I think overall for me I've always said that no matter the positive outcome for me is what that young person could do so it could literally be like one or two things if it means that the young person came into my organization um not knowing how to cook and by the time they leave my organization they know how to cook three meals That, that for me is a positive outcome um if for me like you know, a young person didn't want to go into education at all, but coming out, they started an apprenticeship. That's a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think embracing small successes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, with the Quicken example, that could literally be the only school that the young person learned because unfortunately, Zaba's time wasn't permitted or for some reason they just struggled in other areas. But I think by embracing and by encouraging um young people in all aspects and celebrating little success those positive outcomes will come because I always feel like in every young person there's an unmet child need almost you could almost see like a little child in them Mm -hmm. because sometimes um they revert back to of course with the trauma and um, neglect that they've experienced you can almost see like a little child in them and I think I try as much as possible to nurture that little child yeah. so by giving them that positive like reaffirmation like you know you're doing well well done um congratulations like you know you cut your first pasta bake today well done um you know you signed up to that apprenticeship course I know you didn't want to do it well done like doing stuff like that I sometimes you see a little gleam in their eyes. I know sometimes they struggle it off this, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think for me, I know deep in deep inside, like, those words really carry a lot of meaning because yeah. it may be words that they've never heard before. Um, so, yeah, I think pretty much, um, I hope that answers your question, in terms of, like, how semi-independent living supports positive outcomes. It really is just bridging the gap for them to gain adult independence by one nurturing their um their inner child um again positive reinforcement encouragement um and tenacity as well I think a lot of young people want to know that you're not going to give up on them mm-hmm. um that you're always going to be there for them within reason of course you can't promise them the world but promise them what you're capable of promising them yeah so, yeah
0: I'm also quite interested, Tina, just hearing what you're saying as well, to to see your perspective on when we're looking at young people who are in care,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what do we do well for them? Because, of course, you're seeing young people when they maybe come out of care and have spent periods of time in foster care or, Mm or in some form of placement from your perspective what do we do well for young people who are in care and what could we do be doing that little bit better so that when they become care leavers the transition um is that little bit easier
1: yeah I mean it's a difficult question really um I've always it is quite difficult because I've always said that um with young people um with children who are in care it's really it's beyond their control and I think that's where the frustration usually lies because even though let's say it was the carers or the parents that unfortunately um weren't able to care for them it's almost the child that gets punished Mm -hmm. and that's the way I've always seen it not in a negative way but of course for their own protection but they probably wouldn't see that until like many years down the line I think I think it's getting better I must say um I think a lot of children are now having a lot of their voices heard in lack reviews about what they want, what they don't want. Um, I think um, that should definitely continue. Um, I think it should continue probably a little bit earlier. Um, I know, I mean, just from experience, a lot of young people probably get involved in lack reviews in maybe when they're about 14, 15. i know in child protection i know when i was a child protection worker uh, we used to get there i'm not sure if it's still happening we used to get children's views before the meeting um because obviously they couldn't be present but i do i'm aware in some local authorities they can actually have a um young person's child protection review meeting um or they used to i'm not sure if that still goes on um where the young person's actually present um of course given the fact that it's age appropriate but what I'm finding is that a lot of young people are getting involved in stuff like CSC gang violence and stuff like that a lot younger Mm -hmm. um I've heard cases where from the age of 12 um young people are being like you know sexually promiscuous and stuff like that so I think catching them not obviously that they're running away but catching them probably in the primary school ages um I think the pivotal point they usually say that young people who go into care young um I think it's any age below I think 12 or 14 um the trajectory is actually quite is not so good in terms of their adult life um however those young people who get to go to care a lot later is a lot easier to change the, um, the trajectory and stuff. Um, so I think definitely catching them from young, um, I think it probably would help with the, mm-hmm. I mean, it goes back to maybe the, even the early help intervention um, catching young, because sometimes young people get slipped through the net. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've probably experienced neglect for many, many years, but because of the assessment process, because of budgets, because of so many things, having to be pushed back, having to be closed, reopen, closed, reopen. And in an essence, we're kind of failing those young people because it feels like they're constantly in a cycle um, of being re-traumatized, re-neglected and stuff. Um, but yeah, I will definitely say one of the things is probably to catch them a bit younger, um, probably from the age of like six, seven. I think we really do underestimate children sometimes. We do, they're actually quite smart. And I think especially the generation coming above, like coming below sorry, um, they're getting a lot smarter. They've got access to a lot more technology. Um, they're doing more things, knowing more things, learning more things. And I think we need to give them credit, not necessarily treat them like adults, but create a space where we could um, inform them a lot earlier. Because it's a lot easier to convince a 7, 8-year-old early than it is to convince a 16, 17, 18-year-old mm. who's already got their habits rooted. Yeah. So I think
0: that early intervention work, isn't it, is so key. And I think what you're saying is so right. Children are changing. The generation's changing. The access to social media and everything else just means that they're a lot more aware and exposed to things at a lot earlier stage. So we really need to meet them where they're at. Um, And actually even thinking of things such as child development and and the books that we might have looked at um, when we're looking at child development um, in university, actually we have to consider how um, relevant some of those aspects still are because Mm -hmm. children and young people are developing at a lot faster rate um, in those areas. Um, so yeah that's really interesting but I agree I think early intervention work is just is so so key and makes such a difference to to young people yeah just thinking now a bit more about redefine living and I really really like um, the name as well Tinu how did you find the transition from I mean you're still a social worker of course yeah. but transitioning into the business world how was that transition for you
1: is it's weird, <laughs> I must admit. It's weird, um, weird in a good way. I think you go from being a social worker who's doing the placements to being the professional who's responding. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting transition because of course with your social work hat that never kind of leaves you. So you know what needs to happen and you know what, um, what you should tolerate and what you shouldn't tolerate. Um, which I think is quite good, actually, because some—not all—providers um, are social workers. Some are nurses. Some have different, like, professional fields. So I think definitely being a social worker has really helped me in knowing what to do, in knowing the different types of processes, what to accept, and stuff like that. Um, so I would say the transition has been—it's been interesting because, of course, I started off as a social worker. And now being a provider, business owner, it's it's like there's certain things that, I, that are not in my jurisdiction to do. That is not my responsibility. So something that I would usually do for like, as a social worker, um, such as like, you know, arranging meetings, organizing certain things, I don't have to do it anymore. I just have to attend okay. <laughs> yeah. so, and give feedback, of course. Um, so it's understanding the balance of um you, it's understanding the balance of power in a way' um, not that there's a power clash or power dynamic or anything like that but I think it's understanding um what your role is as a provider mm-hmm. um and how you could best meet that young person's needs as a provider not as that young person's social worker yeah. understanding that social work will always inform what I do um but, I'm not a, I'm not that young person social worker they've also got that responsibility so Thank I would you. say that transition has been interesting in relearning like okay you're not the social worker in this case like pass it on or like raise the alert um so that's definitely something that I would say is yes because again I think a
0: social worker's again is innate in us we want to do so I'm sure when you're seeing things that you feel should be happening, you want to do it, but actually it's about really recognising what your role is within this. Um, That's really interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. What what would you say you enjoy most about um, having redefined Living and and what has been your biggest challenge?
1: Um, What do I enjoy most? Um, I enjoy, like, seeing like young people thrive I guess it does sound so cheesy I know (laughs) Um, but I I enjoy seeing them thrive I enjoy um I enjoy like the happy moments this the times where I could um you know, where I personally, cause I usually go there um, every weekend. So the times where I could like spend time cooking, spend time talking to them, um, and really getting to know them. I've always wanted to be a business owner that's in touch with the young people and not just leave it with this support staff. Um, so that's definitely something that um, I like to do. The challenges, um, I mean, luckily so far, I haven't had many that I can't really handle. Um, I haven't really had many like missing episodes or anything and that could just literally be I mean some of the cases that we've had but um, I would definitely say one of the challenges that can arise sometimes is missing episodes for young people Um, it's it's scary yeah because of course you're the it's almost like you're the parent um and we know you're not legally the parent but you're, you're responsible pretty much You know, the local authority has entrusted you to look after that young person and when they go missing there is a part of you that worries and even though you do follow the dual processes like calling the police etc there is still a part of me that worries that you know is that young person okay i hope they did not get into trouble i hope they're i just hope they're okay um and the relief that you feel when they come back is, yes, yes, I imagine, is, yeah. is something else you just honestly sometimes you feel like they're your own children you just feel like oh my goodness like I don't even I don't even care where you went I'm just so happy that you're back yes. <laughs> yes. oh gosh of course you're okay yeah <laughs> um yeah so I would say um well that's probably for me just more of like the missing episodes um stuff like the the talking back, the anger and stuff. I just, I try not to look too deep into it sometimes because some of these things are just teenage behaviour. Any teenager will give you attitudes, if if that makes sense. Any teenager will tell you to go away if you don't want, if they don't want to do anything that you tell them to do. So, yeah, I try not to differentiate. Oh, because they're care but I just think of it they're just a teenager
0: yeah you're that's a teenager just, absolutely that's just
1: it um and even teenagers you know teenagers go missing to their boyfriend girlfriend yeah. everywhere so it, it's one of those things where I don't want I try not to um put the care lever title on them too much because mm. I think sometimes they can also use it as a as a I don't want to say weapon um weapon is not the word I want to use they could they could also internalize that basically and then walk in that and just kind of be that typical care lever if that makes sense
0: limitations on themselves in a way yeah yeah
1: yeah Yeah. whereas really intrude I want to make sure that I normalize I want them to understand that how you are feeling um you know part of it is yes your trauma your neglect and stuff like that but part of it is just because you're just a teenager you know I I get moody sometimes like it's not that's not a bad thing and kind of reassuring them that it's okay to feel those emotions um so yeah that's one thing that I would say is one of the positives one of the challenges yes wow yes So
0: I'm just thinking as I'm listening to you and, and, you know, speaking to a number of social workers, there are so many social workers out there who have different areas of passion um, and would love to embark on a journey where they're able to provide a service. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, you know, what you would say to another social worker who wanted to embark on a similar journey to you. So whether Mm -hmm. it was semi-independent living or just, being able to provide a service that improves Mm -hmm. lives of young people um would you give them what kind of advice would you give them
1: um so one of my advice one advice that i would give is make sure that you get a either a mentor or somebody who's actually already in the field to kind of give you some guidance um and I'm just saying this from my own journey um, and make sure that you're also willing to pay for it. There is a reason. So what I found in building my organisation is that especially with children, semi-independent, anything to do with children, it seems like everything is hidden. You cannot find it on the internet anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's literally who you know. Um, and even who you know, you still have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, at first, when I first started I was trying to go around the hoops, trying to see like is there anywhere I could get information it came to a dead end and I actually saw um someone to like mentor me paid for services etc and I as a provider I now know the reason why it's important um to have somebody who you could just check in and be like is this okay am I right um I think it's important to ensure that even going into the business world as a social worker don't do it alone um as a social worker you're not so support- well ideally you shouldn't do social work alone yeah <laughs> so being a provider i don't think that should be any different um i know as in the business field it's different because we look at competition etc but mm-hmm. i just see it as we're supporting each other to grow at the end of the day You can't be everywhere. The United Kingdom is big. You can't be everywhere. And, you know, some services are, it's not even necessarily better than yours or worse than yours. It's just different to yours. Yeah. And some children would gel well with you, some children wouldn't. So they need to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I see it as we've all got the same vision. We're all trying to do the same thing. Like, let's try to work together to make sure that we achieve that positive outcome, which is the young people. So uh, hence is the reason why I'll say, don't be afraid to seek mentorship. Um, Don't be afraid to pay for it. I did. um, And I don't regret it now. Um, It's definitely something that um, you're investing into something great. Um, Of course, when it comes to like, I think a lot of people try to sway away from when they have to pay for something, um especially when you're building a business because you of course you have to pay for the business expenses so you're thinking why do I have to pay for like somebody to mentor me but I think coming on the other side I could see the value of it and honestly I wouldn't regret it I don't regret it at all I don't regret the processes that I've been through even buying books that I've bought buying business books Mm -hmm. um that is so important oh my goodness I think A lot of people kind of underestimate the business side of things Um, so you want to open a business but you've never read a book (laughs) about business Um, so I will definitely say don't forget the business side of things Um, of course like your costings um, your ingoings your outgoings making sure that you get an accountant making sure that you tick the right boxes and that you're actually Yes, you're doing social work, but also do the business as well. Absolutely. um It's one thing to know social work, is another thing to know what social work and business looks like. Absolutely. Um, because you have to price your service. And funny enough, you'll be surprised that pricing a service is a lot more harder than what you think because you're thinking, how can you? It's difficult because it's like, how can you put a price on? service yeah because you have to literally break it down um from rent to like um so what you will charge for rent what you will charge for maintenance of the property what you will charge for like you know hire your care staff so there's a lot of it takes on a lot of thinking and a lot of calculations and also making sure that you're meeting your outgoings as well as making some level of like buffer profit so that you could build more houses so there's a lot of like Yes it to think about, I yeah, I'm not the best at math, so I getting an accountant is <laughs> is definitely tip number two um but yeah, so saving money, I've probably given you like five ten tips yeah it's
0: but... brilliant, that's amazing, and I think also you're right what you said, um, just in terms of making sure social work is one thing isn't it working in social work and knowing that inside out but knowing the business side and learning the business side is so important as well and I think sometimes not for all um, and actually you know especially with me being in the social media space around social work I've been able to meet and see so many Mm. amazing social workers doing such amazing things in business because if I think maybe two years ago I definitely wasn't seeing that much myself so there are other social workers out there that people can seek for mentorship and I agree it's important not to shy away from that Um mm-hmm. we all have a common goal to help yeah, children and young people and um exactly as you said uh, uh, competition is healthy it doesn't need to be a negative thing at all um, so thank you thank you very much for that that's okay <clears throat> I mean, what you've described today, Tinu, just thinking about your own journey and um, about redefined living, honestly, I'm sure you've only given us even a tiny bit because, you know, we can never go through everything in one conversation, but honestly, it's so admirable and it's just so inspiring to hear um, of your social work journey, especially um, given that, as you said, you've been a social worker for six years, you've had so many experiences within those six years and then... Mm -hmm made the step to start a business that ultimately is going to change lives for so many young people. Yeah. Um, and when I think about leadership in social work, that's why I, I often think about is doing something that makes a change mm. um, to children and young people when I'm thinking about leadership and social work anyway, um, that makes a change for children and young people for the communities that we serve. Um, and I always ask everyone I speak to, what social work leadership means to them. And I Mm -hmm. wondered what you would say if I was to ask you that.
1: Um, So I would say social work leadership is always looking at, um, I may not say it in one word, but I may say it in a few words. So always looking at the best case scenario um, in all things. Um, I'm quite a positive person. So when I think about, and sometimes with social work, it's quite, it could be quite gloomy. <laughs> um, because by the time you talk about, oh, we want to make this difference, and you really get into nitty-gritty, it's like budget cards, et cetera, et cetera. But I would say um, as a social work leader, one of the things that has really helped me is always looking at the brighter side of things, um, always looking at the things that I can control um, rather than the things that I can't control. I can't control like budget cuts. I can't control like government spending and stuff like that, but I can control how I make a young person feel today. I can control how I make my staff feel today. I can control like what I do to make a difference, no matter how small it is yeah. and with the young people that I work with. So that's one thing that I would say is um, social work leadership for me is always looking at the brighter side of things, um, Mm -hmm. looking at the things that one, you could control within your remit. um, And even if you can go and extend extend in yourself as well. I mean, who's to say that, you know, one day you can't change policy. Um, But I think from whatever you do, do make sure that you do it well and make sure you always have a heart of, service and serving one another if that makes sense helping um young people helping the people who help young people and just making sure that you think positively it gets better over time definitely it does I think a lot of times social people who talk about social work sometimes they just complain and it could be very um disheartening and stuff but I always say that you know just continue to look at the positive outcomes because things will get better and even though I can't control the policies I can't control government etc but I can control how I make people feel and that's the jurisdiction that I would happily work with so yeah
0: thank you and it's interesting how we kind of started this conversation when trying to um to understand more about you speaking about service and serving and and just as we ended and speaking about leadership you kind of went back to speaking about service um, and serving as well, because that really do, just sums up social work and, and what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, there are so many people thankful for your for your service. You will have young people thankful for your service, local authorities thankful for your service, individual families and, and social workers thankful for your service. So thank you, Tinu. It's been a really, really positive an inspiring conversation, and um, one that I'm really looking forward to people listening to um, and hearing more about, and really thinking about, or, or I guess reflecting on what is within, you know, what they're able to do. You know, ultimately, there are so many options. There are so many things that as social workers we can do to expand our skill set um, to provide the services that we want to. So, I'm really looking forward to people hearing this episode and, and being inspired by it
1: yeah thank you
0: so Tinu if people wanted to find you um, and to understand more about redefine living what you do and if there were um, other individuals that were quite other social workers that were interested in embarking on a similar journey how can people contact you and do you kind of do anything for social workers um, to be able to learn from you at all
1: yeah um yeah of course so you could contact me on instagram um tinu so t-i-n-u underscore x-o um i have recently started um or i'm going to start like a mentorship program so anybody who wants to open or is interested in open a semi-independent organization um i will be offering um mentoring services as well for anybody who's interested. Um, Like I said, I was quite frustrated that when I first started, there was literally nothing out there. And I wanted to make sure that that was not gonna remain the case once I started my organization. So anybody who's interested um, or anybody who's interested in um, joining, um, I have got um, a day coming up on the 19th of November. I'm not sure when this is gonna be released, but. The 19th of November and definitely subsequent days coming up as well um that we'll be offering that I'll be offering mentoring services um group mentoring as well as individual mentoring as well um you could follow redefine living um at redefine living at redefine.living on Instagram and Facebook um so those are the pages that I follow that I am as should I say that I do um it's or you could contact me on email usually on my Instagram there's an email function um so if you have any requests um you could function you contact me on my email as well but yeah definitely Instagram is probably the best way to contact me I must admit I don't use Facebook anymore unfortunately um but you can email me through Instagram as well so
0: yeah perfect thank you and I will make sure I've captured all of those places that people can find you and about the mentorship program and i will um make sure i put it in the description bar and the 19th this will definitely be coming out before the 19th so oh people will be able to um, register themselves that's good. The, the seminar with you so that sounds brilliant so once again Tini, thank you very much for joining us today and that brings us to the end of episode nine I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did as I said within the podcast I will put all of Tinu's information in the description box below you can make contact with her if you're interested in learning more about semi-independent living or actually as a professional you know someone who could benefit from her services so thank you take care and speak to you soon